0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your
1: host Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week?
0: And co-hosts Dan and Jason.
1: You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story.
0: Okay, look, this year I'm gonna stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond.
1: And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. I'm here with crew, Dan and Jason. Welcome, boys.
0: Hey, good to be here.
1: Howdy. Well, we've got a special show today. We're going to talk about the RPG Storytelling Collective, which is the thing that I mentioned way back in a couple podcasts this last summer that I started doing uh, spoiler alert. I never actually finished it because it was a very busy month. I should have waited till this November, but we have a special guest with us today, Ashley Warren with the Storytelling Collective. Ashley, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me and don't feel bad about not finishing the workshop. It's totally okay.
1: uh, I I have lots of questions about how many people finish and don't finish, but I'm going to save that for later in the show. Is that to try to help you feel better? Yes, 100%. (laughs) Please make it a high percentage of failure. (laughs) So it's not failure, it's just delayed. There you go. Right? So Yeah. uh, Ashley, uh, you uh, are joining us. You've got a little bit of a background in gaming. Yeah. uh, we talked about just before the show that uh, in some of your bio that you have, you are credited with writing parts of some D&D adventures. Is that correct?
2: That is correct.
1: Awesome. I think one of the most notable ones that we noticed was uh, "Rhyme of the Frost Frostmaiden, uh, the Icewind Dale saga, and uh, listeners to our show will know how much we enjoyed playing that, so we're kind of geeking out a little bit to have you <laughs> on here with us.
2: I'm so glad. It's It's always really exciting to hear about everyone's you know experience playing through that campaign and yeah it's 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 fun to hear about um you know where you know it's kind of a it's a dark adventure campaign i think and can be kind of a you know there's definitely some dangerous moments and stuff but there's also some silly things in it i i don't know i think it's just a really fun book but i'm biased of course
1: we had a ton of fun with it and again i'm going to save a lot of my questions and kind of feedback for the main show of the podcast. Before we get into everything, of course, we need to do our Geek Week. So, Dan, why don't you kick us off with Geek Week?
3: So, um, I, I took some of your words to heart when I was listening to some of the shows that you do with um, uh, Winning War Cry, and you'd mentioned that board gamers don't like basing their minis. That is true. So you threw a little shade. That's okay. And I, I was guilty of just painting the bases black and moving on with my life. But now that I've In Star Wars Legion, I've built up my Mandalorian army, and I'm like, I have some tufts of grass and some free fake foliage from Army Painter. My free tufts of grass that I got at Nova Open in 2017, which I hadn't touched, were from gamersgrass.com. Don't forget the S in gamersgrass, by the way uh (laughs) gamers (laughs) right um and they have really cool little teeny tiny tufts of grass and so i was i've been putting down little tufts of grass and i've been taking like helmets and guns and stuff off sprues and painting them and using them as like crap on the battlefield ground for my my dudes my mandos and their other supporting uh shadow collective guys And I'm kind of enjoying it. And I was like, you know what? You know what these little bases need? They need some real dirt, some real sand. And so I was like, you know, my wife, you know, and she goes to a beach sometimes. She puts some beach sand in like a glass jar and wraps some seashell (laughs) beads around it. I'm like, hey, sweetie, can I just, I want to try this out. Do you have a couple tablespoons of your beach sand I can have? She's like, I don't know where that is. Um, Yes, you can have some. Uh, and I'm like, if you don't want me to use it, I'll just go buy sand at like Michael's or the other place. She's like, don't buy dirt. <laughs> so so that I'm like, so I can use your beach sand, right? she's like, if you can find it. <laughs> so uh, right now I'm, I'm not allowed to go buy beach sand,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I can't find the beach sand in that house. (laughs) Sounds like you need to drive to the beach then, Dan.
3: You know what's bad when you walk around the property at your house, and you're like, you know, none of this material is suitable for a mini. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Anyway, I'm trying to up my miniatures game by doing real bases and uh, having a lot of CA glue, super glue stuck to my finger, so much so that I have... Leveraged my uh, orbital power sander to get it off the tips of my fingers. I feel like I'm a convict, trying to burn off my uh, fingerprints. So um, <laughs> anyway, that's that's been my geek week. Has been playing with teeny tiny tufts of grass and uh, and and power sanding my fingertips.
1: We've we've leveled you up, Dan. We've leveled you up as a miniature guy.
3: I'm working mm-hmm. on. See, I see. one skill at a
1: time. That's right.
0: Yeah. I That's use right. Game of Grass, too. I really like that stuff. I think it, they've got a pretty wide variety of uh, different uh, themes for different landscapes, and it's not that expensive either to kind of get a pack of it.
3: And they go they they look teeny tiny on the little piece of wax paper, and then when you put them on the base, they actually yeah, fill to in scale. quite nicely. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, ironically, the free grass that I got was all kind of beach-themed. I'm like, sweetie, I need your beach sand from the (laughs) beach that's your favorite beach in the world. I want to use it for gaming. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say I was less than popular uh, with with that conversation.
0: You know, a a life hack, or a gamer basing life hack, uh, if you go to the dollar store, Mm-hmm. you can get bags of different uh, coarse and fineness of sand. Oh, the dollar uh, I mean, it's store. S- at the dollar store, yeah, super cheap. And you can get all the way down to, like, you know, the super fine. That would be almost like grit on sandpaper, right? Right. Um, right. All I'll the I'll way up to, to fishbowl fish size.
3: I almost look for that cheap, like, uh, purpley play sand that the kids have. I'm like, that's not going to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes what people do is they'll go in their yard and they'll dig up some dirt and then they'll bake it in the oven. Yeah, yeah that's too I, much work. I would it be is. very I, unpopular <laughs> if I
3: was baking dirt in baking
1: my oven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
0: funny.
3: <laughs> anyway, long story short, I'm trying to get into it. I'm, I'm trying to trying to enjoy this aspect of the hobby. And I really want to finish this Mando army so I can start building my Imperial army. So anyway, that's been my, cool. my geek week. I'll pass it on.
1: Hey, uh, Ashley, do you play with miniatures in your RPGs when you play?
2: sometimes um when i'm dming no because i'm not a very uh i don't know i i I should be more of a proactive dm and actually plan out things like that but when my friend dms for our group he usually uses minis and has a bunch of great little things for us so hey there's two schools there's
0: two schools in the podcast here Uh, yeah i inspired you're in one of them
2: I aspire to be better, but uh, I just don't have a lot of time, and so, yeah, we just, most of the time, we do theater of the mind to my party's yeah. chagrin, but, you know, whatever. They take what they can get. Yeah,
1: Jason's, See, a, Jason's a theater of the mind
2: guy. I am
0: 100, when you when you say do better, I'm like, do better means less minis in RPGs. <laughs> mm, yeah. Ouch. Strictly Ouch. theater of the mind for me.
3: That hurts, man. You know how much I love my minis. I know. Yeah.
0: No, there's a time and a place for them, <laughs> but uh, I'm a theater of the mind guy myself. That's my camp.
1: It, uh, mm-hmm. Ashley, you're one thousand percent correct in that to do minis well, you have to plan it out really well. Yeah, like you have you you've got to like figure everything out, and and when you just kind of roll out a just a flat battle mat and sort of do it with markers and then have minis on it, it just does not do the same. You just kind of have you have to you have to plan out a lot more. So yeah yeah
2: and sometimes i mean as most dms i never really know what my players are going to do and sometimes just accounting for every single thing they may encounter i'm like i I don't know nobody got time for that i don't have time for that right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's true very true very true well jason how was your geek week buddy
0: i i had i'm trying to i'm trying to yank off of my uh, theater of the mind soapbox that i was getting ready to stand up on but uh (laughs) (laughs) all right so we've heard it before I i know i know all right so uh I had a funky week. I played a little game um, called Trek to Yomi, which is a, a tiny little uh, video game. It's on uh, PlayStation. X, it's on all the platforms. Actually, I don't know if it's on the PC. Yeah, it is. It's on all the platforms right now. PlayStation, Xbox, PC. I don't think it's on the Switch. Um, but it's a tiny little, uh, I'll call it a 2.5D side scroller, you know, because it's one of those where, like, the camera can kind of twist a little bit, so you can kind of have a little freedom of movement in a 3D space, but not quite. So it has a little bit of linearity. Uh-huh. But it's set in uh, the Edo Japan uh, period in the Shinto mythology. It feels like you are playing a black and white grainy samurai movie. Uh, it is Whoa. a beautiful game. Um, it's, uh, and it's very – it has enough of a simple combat mechanic where you're literally kind of running from side to side and attacking the enemies as they come to you. Um, there is a – but it's, a, it's not just a button masher. So there is a, a block, a parry – Mechanic, um, and there are a couple combos you kind of progressively learn as you play the game. But it is heavily drenched in the uh, in the Shinto mythology, uh, such that if you geek out over that kind of like uh, that kind of time period and kind of samurai stuff, and you like old samurai black and white movies, play this game because it is like you are playing one of the you know in real time one of those movies. It's a great little story. It's only about a five-hour game. So it's not hard to bite into. Um, and uh, it's made by a small development team, uh, uh, published by Devolver Digital, but uh, made by a small team. Real easy to play and really thematic. Um, and uh, it, it just was a great experience. And I, I, I only grabbed it because I was browsing Games Pass. and was like, hey, I want to burn like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I picked it to cloud stream it, right? We've talked a lot about that, you can cloud stream games to try them without having to do the install and it played really well over cloud steam, uh, cloud streaming. So I decided to install it. Next thing I know, you know, five, you know, a couple nights later and burned through about five and a half hours and I'd beat the game. But, uh, that was my, uh, geek week. So highly recommend checking that out. If you like that kind of, that kind of theme and time period.
1: That's very cool. Um, I was thinking about you because I picked up a uh-huh. game the other day called, um, death's door. Oh, and okay. It's uh, a, just a little indie game, and you uh, it's basically a Dark Souls light game where, like, you kind of die, you kind of die, but you gather these souls and level up and stuff like that. Um, a lot of a lot of fun, a little indie game cl- on the cloud, too. So I'm just going to make a little plug for that. Yeah, cool. You should that, check it
0: out. Love, you know, it's so worth the money, uh, whether you do yeah. Games Pass or, you know, any type of a games library. You just you're saving yourself so much money a year doing that. So many oh. games that are that are options to you. Yeah, that was my gig week though.
1: Very good, Ashley. Do you do you have time for video games, or does your family and work and all that keep you busy?
2: At the moment, no. I do enjoy video games. I am not a very good video gamer, so <laughs> when I play a game that I like, I tend to just continue to play that one game. I I don't know. I'm right. not. I wish I had time to play lots of different games because so many games look amazing, but it's just, it's not my main hobby. So I am pretty selective about things, but I enjoy video games.
1: What uh, what do you normally play when you do play them?
2: I mean, I definitely pay, play casual stuff. Um, I mean, yeah. I still play the, all of the Elder Scrolls games, even though they're like old at this point. <laughs> There's um, nothing to
1: apologize for.
2: Like, I, I booted <laughs> up Oblivion recently, and yeah. that was fun, and I, 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 like, I love that game so much, and of course I like Skyrim and have, like, yeah. I don't know, however many versions of Skyrim they have out now, and um, yeah, and then I really want to play the new Pokemon game, even though I know it's not being very well received right now, but I do enjoy those games, and yeah, that's, that's kind of been it <laughs> i'm i would like to play valhalla um assassin's creed but yeah. um yeah just again it's not humongous. a lot of time it's
1: a huge world
2: like yeah.
1: that that's when i like dedicated time to and i think it took me like weeks and weeks to finish it it was just so big
0: well yeah, it's the same with the elder scrolls games right yeah. like i've played mm-hmm. ai Ablo- probably have like 250 hours in oblivion like i don't even know probably that or more than that in skyrim i've never beat the games
2: yeah. I mean what <laughs> nice. I think
0: one, one night I reckon I was like two in the morning and I, f- I, r- I step back from the computer and realized I'm sitting in my house next to the fire making like cooking stuff with herbs. <laughs> yep. And I had like a like three hundred hours into the game and I'm like, what am I doing?
2: Okay, I, <laughs> I even like yeah.
0: I'm just <laughs> living in the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: I totally get, get that. God, like, oh, I need to go get that. I need more root. I need more Yep, yep.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: Well, uh, Ashley, how was your geek week?
2: It was good. I mean, every week of my life is geek week. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I would say that I guess recently, uh, my, my D and D group, which is just my group of close friends where I live. We were planning our, uh, uh wild beyond the witch light, campaign for next year. And I'm thankfully not DMing. It probably sounds like I hate DMing, which is not true. I will say I did not not love DMing when the pandemic first started and we all switched to Zoom. And then I did not love DMing when I was very heavily pregnant. (laughs) And then, uh, so for those reasons, I'm like not super keen on DMing right now, but I think I'll enjoy it again. But uh, yeah, we're planning out our campaign and My friend and I are playing uh, gnomes from the same village. So we have been trying to think of fun gnome names because my character's name is Higgledy Piggledy and her (laughs) name is Hodgepodge. (laughs) And so we were basically trying to think of like silly gnome names to kind of round out our village. So we had like um, Willy Nilly, Teeny Weenie, I don't know, a bunch of silly names like that. And I had like posted it on Twitter to see if, you know, I could, you know, crowdsource some other you know, suggestions and like so many people responded. So I have like a huge list of like silly, ridiculous gnome names now. So that was fun. I'm excited.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we, we finished our D and D campaign. And since then we have kind of a star Wars, like West March style campaign going on mm. right now. So we've got a several DMS that are just kind of DMing in this world that we've sort of created um i mean we didn't create the star wars world you know so um yeah but it's been pretty good that's been pretty good did you have you played the star wars rpg at all
2: i would love to because i I love star wars so that's definitely a goal of mine i've heard kind of mixed things about the the game but i'm definitely open to it just because i love star wars so much and it just sounds fun to play and you know a star wars game so i don't know maybe 2023 i would like to try it out
0: Mixed as in, like it's either super awesome or terrific. I mean,
2: I don't know how? I mean, I feel like I would probably like it. I just when i've when I've asked my other friends in gaming communities, there seems to be kind of like I don't know. Some people love it, and some people like don't love it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, having not played it myself, I don't really I don't have an opinion about it. I would certainly one hundred percent try it because it sounds really fun.
0: I think if anything, it's worth trying. Like, have you played the narrative dice systems before? I have not. Yeah, that's. And you don't have to play it in the Star Wars, right, with the release of Genesis that came out and mm-hmm. the application of that narrative dice to many other RPGs. That itself is worth an experience to un- kind of open the aperture to um, uh, what, what that can do for storytelling in terms of having the GM and the players be mutual storytellers mm-hmm. uh, in the experience. That's my thoughts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have a kind of a resident expert here in Dan. Dan's been yep. playing the Star Wars RPG system since like the '80s. Oh he's wow! All do all
0: of the systems probably? Yeah.
3: This yeah. is true. I'm I'm guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll back up what Jay said. I mean, I've, um, I think the early West End system in the '80s was a great way to get a lot of people who didn't have experience with D and D into role playing, and it was a really low barrier of entry. Everything was d6s, which means if you had a a box game of Risk and a box of Monopoly. You pretty much had enough dice to play, and you just bought the hardbound book. But it's changed a lot over the years, and you know, it took like I don't know four four major editions, I think, for the uh, and and you know three different cut co- four editions, three companies to kind of get a sweet spot. So now it feels right with the narrative dice system, um, and so I'm. I'm kind, I was so hooked on it, I had the D20 version that Wizards of the Coast did, I had the whole library. And a few years ago, right before COVID, I just said, you know, I'm going to part with these on eBay while, they're, while they still have good value. Mm. And I'm fine, I haven't, I haven't needed to turn around and, and go back to it. Um, or I don't I, I I don't regret that purchase. Is let me let me say so. Anyway, uh, the box sets are really great. The problem with the game right now is because I think the license is winding down just a smidge. It's a little harder to get your hands on products. Um, so it could be changing substantially, or they could be the the current studio that has access to it, it's called Edge Studio. If they would release some new products and reprint the the custom dice, that would be really swell. But don't get me started on that. Sorry.
0: I want to pull on something Dan said too. It's, you know, once the, those earlier games that had were D6 games, once you take that D6 out of that Monopoly game, just never put it back. That's <laughs> a done deal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. That was a big deal back in the day to get access to dice. I mean, I lived in Las Vegas and we could get craps dice at 7 Eleven. Uh, but other than that, it was kind of hard to find dice in, you know, yeah. Ni- 1988.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, well, uh, my the I, I'll, I guess I'm the last Geek Week guy, so my Geek Week has been immersed in the Adobe Creative Cloud, and I've been learning all about Illustrator, InDesign, and kind of putting those skills to use to get ready to put out some of our uh, Tabletop and Beyond content that we will have as part of a Patreon account coming up in 2023. So we're going to be offering monthly uh, one-shot adventures that may tie loosely to each other, that can be used as like a campaign eventually if you wanted to kind of string them some adventures together, depending. And uh, so getting ready for production of those. Uh, Jason and I have been kind of going back and forth on what we want to put in there. So I've got my InDesign ready to go. Yeah, it's fun because
0: we've – Justin and I and and Dan, you know, Ashley, we have – We've all been DMs for probably a, a lot of years collected between us, but none of us, I don't think, have ever really published anything we've ever done, even though a lot of it has been homebrew inside of systems. So we're excited to collect kind of these, collect all these uh, little mini adventures that we've done and, and make them accessible to a larger audience. I'm excited, and and we have some other special things that are coming on our Patreon, too, Yeah, right? With our uh, partner in crime, uh, the Baron of Dice, we mentioned a few times we have a special limited edition one print only tabletop and beyond dice that will be made available to our patreon backers yeah. so excited for that
1: yeah Let's set stay tuned six. it'll be great it'll be very good so um that kind of leads a sort of a uh, sort of a segue into our main topic actually which is you and the storytelling collective so um you obviously have been playing RPGs for a while. When did you start getting into RPGs and gaming?
2: Sure, I always feel like my answer to this is a little, like, it, it, I mean, it, it wasn't very linear. I, I was really interested in D&D when I was a kid. I used to look at D&D books at the library, but I didn't really, I didn't know anyone who played d d or really any sort of tabletop game. I mm-hmm. was always in, you know, I always had geeky friends, but no one was really into that sort of hobby. But I knew that as someone who just always loved books and always loved, you know, fantasy and sci-fi, and and I was a big theater geek, like I, I knew at some point that that was a hobby that I wanted to get into because it kind of combined all of my interests. But it really took until I was well into adulthood <laughs> to find other, you know, people in my life who were also, you know, eager to try that out. And it just so happens that one of my good friends uh, has been DMing for decades. And we were just all kind of hanging out one night. Um, I I think this was like 2015 or something like that. And we all finally agreed like, let's just try to play D&D. We have a friend who like is really good at all of this and has been DMing, you know, for every edition basically and can get us started. And we all want to play this. We've all wanted to play this since we were kids. So we might as well all try. And so we finally started a regular game and I just got like so obsessed with it. Like I, like I knew I would be. So, um, and as someone who's been, you know, a writer in some capacity for my whole life, it, once i really got into playing i knew pretty much immediately that i also wanted to learn how to write that kind of content mm-hmm. so it was kind of love at first dice roll and uh i have that's kind of just been my life ever since it it's like i think of my life now as like kind of like before D and after dnd um <laughs> so so yeah that's it's I, I when i look back i'm like i don't know what really took me so long i think a lot of it was that I didn't really know how a tabletop game was facilitated. Obviously you could read Mm -hmm. like, you know, the dungeon master's guide or read resources like that. But I think I I just didn't really fully understand how, you know, the game system worked. And I do think that a lot of tabletop games are made better when someone can really introduce you to them and kind of show you things like I am horrible at learning the rules of like board games and things like that. I have to just kind of play to learn. Like if I read the you know a, a technical manual or something like that like my brain just like turns to static like I have to play in in order to learn so for me like getting the experience to actually play really kind of sealed the deal but yeah so it's in in a lot of ways it's a recent development in my life although I don't know how I really went without you know playing and, and writing D&D so yeah that's kind of my history but I I will say I've always been super geeky about everything kind of adjacent to D&D yeah. and, and tabletop games
1: so, did you start playing in fifth edition?
2: I did, yeah. But since mm-hmm. w- when I decided to start writing for D anD I did do some research on previous editions just so I would right. have that kind of foundational knowledge. But yes, my my entry point was fifth edition.
1: I mean, to be honest, so was mine. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I started playing fifth edition. I think the first uh, real, yeah, the first real RPG game I played was um, we had a little kind of mini convention. And we played the um, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen starter box, Mm. you know, and uh, just I was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. You know, especially when one of the guys, you know, I I was playing with some very seasoned RPGers, including Dan here. And we had another guy in the group named Dan uh, another, you know, another Dan. And during the game. He found these dead rats that we had accidentally killed, I think, and he picked one up and he would like or picked a bunch of them up and he would like put them in people's pockets using oh yeah, like, I think I was running that session, still and like you know sleight of hand and stuff like that where he would uh you know put them in people's pockets, so like the mayor of the town reached in his pocket and pulled out a dead rat at one point, yeah. you know and <laughs> I'm like, what is this game that we're playing that you can just do that you yeah. know and I said, this is amazing. And, you know, like, even though it was really silly, I saw the possibility of being able to craft the story the way that you want to tell it, you know? Well, yeah. It may nope. not always be dead rats in people's pockets, <laughs> you know, but.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I had that a was dead all- rat in my pocket. Womp, womp,
0: <laughs> That was also the session where uh, I think, Dan, you learned that when everyone was walking through a tunnel to try to escape and you were wading, like, ankle deep in water and you got mad at the rats, and I think you tried to shoot some sort of lightning spell at the rats yeah. straight down into the water that everybody was standing in. Yeah.
3: Made <laughs> 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 for no a fun, a fun experience. Yep. <laughs> mm, that wasn't, it wasn't explicit that water is conductive in the player's handbook, but I, I'm going to follow the logic of it. I'm going to follow the logic of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's a, That's awesome. That's exciting that you, you you kind of felt found that love. I mean, I know for that myself, you know, I was reading fantasy novels and – Playing all sorts of RPG games, and so um, there. I know for me, for a long time, there was sort of this stigma of like, well, you're just going to roll a twenty sided dice, and you know. And then finally, I got to a point where I'm like, all of my friends that I'm like talking about all of these these books and movies and and games and stuff like that, they're playing that too, and I'm like, I, I was starting to realize that like that was something that I should probably also be doing. If I liked all the peripheral things that you kind of were alluding to, Mm -hmm.
2: yeah, I mean that's definitely how it came about for me. I have always had geeky friends, and it just—I don't know—I'm glad the stars finally aligned where the people in my life are people who also wanted to play D and D and and really wanted to obsess about it. Because when I, you know, start to you know learn about something new, I really obsess over it. (laughs) So it was nice to be validated by my friends and have us all just be so into our game and our campaigns it was really really fun and it still is fun we we still you know play when we can but as a new parent my i haven't had a lot of D D time this year so i'm looking forward yeah. to getting back to that next year but yeah i i'm really grateful that i eventually found D and, and people to play with
1: now you talked about you know doing a lot of writing stuff and you know the you knew that uh kind of writing D D content was going to be a part of this as you started to play it. Um, Can you talk about sort of your, your day job and then your night job, which is sort of, you know, kind of doing some of the D and D writing. So maybe, maybe start with what you, what do you do in the day job that kind of lent itself to wanting to write D and D adventures?
2: Sure. So I'll say that I've always had kind of an eclectic career as a writer in different ways. I I, I knew from a young age that I wanted to do something with writing or, or books or, or something related to that when I was an adult. I was very open to whatever that looked like. And so I studied English literature in college and I have my master's degree in literacy studies. And so a lot of what I you know, did during that time was work with uh, other writers. I was a writing consultant for students at my university. I was a journalist for several years. I worked in libraries. Uh, I taught writing programs in some of the local high schools. I taught English 101 at the local community college. And uh, through that, eventually I uh, got into content strategy, which is currently what I do now, which is basically using writing in marketing. And so I've done that for startups for the past like 10 years or so at this point. So I've always done something writing related. I have always been really interested in creative writing in different mediums as well. I love poetry, I love writing short stories, I'm working on a novel, I've written other novels before, I love writing uh, scripts and, and screenplays. Basically, I just love storytelling it's all in all of its many mediums. So that was why when I started to play d and I knew that I wanted to learn how storytelling for that specific medium worked. And so that's kind of why I felt eager to kind of uh, learn about that really early on in my D&D playing like, journey because I don't think most people necessarily do that where they start to learn how to play D&D and they immediately want to write (laughs) for it. But that's just kind of how I think just because I like uh, literacy, I love storytelling in in all of its forms. So I'm always looking for ways to learn more about that. So I think, yeah, my, my career has just been kind of wherever I could find opportunities to write, I would take them. I've never been super picky about it just because I love to write and also writing it's not always the most lucrative career path. So I've tried to be really realistic about like, how can I use what I'm passionate about and still support myself, support my family, support my creative endeavors? Because I do think that being a starving artist is not, I I don't like glamorizing that. I don't like glamorizing the the, the grind. So I did always wanna make sure that I could, uh, you know, have the freedom to be creative in my life and not feel like I'm constantly trying to hustle to make ends meet. I mean that said it there's a lot of work that goes into being an independent creator as I think all of you probably know. But it's yeah, it's, it's nice to have a day job where I can use my my skills and and do research and writing and all the things that I love and then be able to do my night job as you said which I, I always say that I moonlight as a D&D writer because <laughs> it sounds <laughs> I think fun and mysterious and I just try to, you know, prioritize, you know, doing both things in my life. But um yeah, so I think my day job it allows me to think about technical writing, which I think is really important when it comes to writing mm-hmm. for D and D and tabletop adventures, like writing things that are structured and and very clear. In marketing, that's you know really important to have very clear copywriting. You could still be evocative, but you're trying to convey specific information to people. And I work for a financial company, so even more so, I have to be very mindful of the types of words that I'm using to convey certain concepts. And I think that really carries over into writing for a tabletop, because like we talk about in Storytelling Collective, uh, writing for a tabletop, you're writing like technical documents basically, you're writing game manuals. And even though they're stories and they follow traditional narrative flow, you're still writing something that is not a traditional like short story or, you know, a novel like a a campaign setting is not equal to a novel in terms of how those are written. So I think that, you know, having some of those technical writing skills has really helped me out. So I feel like when I switch back and forth, it's I'm able to do that fairly seamlessly at this point just because that's kind of where my mind is when I'm writing creatively. But now that I'm going back to writing some more traditional writing, like I'm working on a novel right now, that's actually been kind of trickier because I'm still in tabletop writing mode and there's a lot of differences there. So it's all just practice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think you need a stat block for the... um... For maybe some financial tables that you got to put out, right? Correct. In yeah. The, in the <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny that uh, you talk about this because I uh, am a communications consultant, mm. and I uh, you know contract with the federal government, and so I do. I mean, my day job is all about writing and content creation, and you know making sure that we're using the right words, and it's got to be very. Um, stodgy is the right wrong word there but you know it's it's kind of stodgy in the sense that it's a you know big bureaucracy federal government right it's not mm-hmm. the normal uh flowy kind of D D style play that you would think of but on one hand it knowing how to write in that structure i think definitely helps translate into putting out products right and mm-hmm and organizing and laying things out and making sure that the flows correctly. and Because um, I've met lots of people who have amazing ideas and amazing stories in their heads, and they just have a, troubles kind of getting that out onto the paper and, mm-hmm. and and putting it out like that. So I could definitely see how your background really lends, lends uh, kind of a one up to being able to put out some D&D products.
2: Yeah, and one thing that I, I feel like is is a benefit of having done so many weird types of writing is that it allowed me to really hone my creative process over the past, I don't know, decade and a half that I've been really actively working as a writer in some way, and that is something that you really can't fast track your way through. It really does take time to develop a creative process that helps you, as you said, get the ideas out of your head because writing is hard writing is i think the ideas and even ideation can be tricky i'm not trying to undermine yeah. the fact that coming up with good ideas is its own kind of skill set but for the most part people have ideas they kind of know the the tone and, and the vibe and they have these scenes in their head of what they want to convey but actually getting that out onto paper whether that's you know digital or analog is is very hard and there is structure and process that goes into that. No one's process will necessarily be the same as someone else's, but there is there is a technical aspect to writing even when you're writing something very creative. And I feel like, I, something that I've, I've learned a lot just through kind of studying creativity and the creative process is that people conflate, you know, being like artsy with being creative and being creative is really about being a problem solver. And so it's not, something that should necessarily be a hundred percent fluid like having some structure there is is a good thing so I think when people can bridge those two sides of writing the, the really you know open-ended part and then the kind of structured part that's where that's when you can actually get projects done and you you know can can start to hone your creative process but it takes time to really develop that and it mm-hmm. it, t- it took me many years and I'm still always refining my creative process yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, Ashley, question on that. So, you know, I think uh, that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of our life uh, is built around process and workflows to accomplish things. Uh, even if they're, you know, even if they're uh, 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 natural to us and we don't see them as, you know, strictly formalized things that are written down and, you know, step by step, most of our lives do follow a workflow that we kind of, um that we kind of tailor to ourselves but for someone who's like i really you know i've got these ideas i want to write you know there you know there are these maybe these situations i want to explore uh in a creative way but i don't i just have no process to start with at all like is there like an easy way that you direct people of look if you don't have a process let's start with this one and tailor it for you is is there a directed place you could go to
2: yeah, well, absolutely. It's like a storytelling collective. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, right. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, <laughs> funny, you should ask. Um, no, but without just like upselling my own projects. And You and, can upsell away, by the way. Okay. Well, upsell, and and really,
0: I think a good answer is not go to my website. A good answer is, you know, what, what have you learned that you could share yeah. with us?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, one thing is that I completely agree with you that we have processes and workflows in our life, whether we realize it or not. And sometimes those processes are conducive to our goals and sometimes they're not. But I think it's important to kind of embrace the fact that that is part of our lives. And because a lot of people kind of bristle at, like that. And it's not so much that we need to optimize every single process in our life Or, I'm really personally like very against like hustle culture when it comes to creativity. Like I do not ever advise that people should get up at the crack of dawn every single day to write a thousand words and blah, Mm, blah, blah. Like that is not something that I personally believe in unless that's something that really works for someone just because I think for the average person that is unattainable and it's, it's not really helpful for most people to actually meet their their specific goals. So to your question, something that I recommend anyone do when they're trying to kind of learn a creative process is to start really, really, really small with something. And so if you want to, if if you're, think about your goals. If you're if you aspire to write a one-shot adventure for example, that's a really that's a really great goal. That's still a fairly big project to do without kind of building up to it. And so, I think that you can still be really ambitious, but kind of start a little bit smaller than that. So what I would recommend for someone who has a goal like that is to start by writing like a one paragraph encounter. Like we, we actually have an encounter workshop, but again, I'm not trying to like direct people to sure, that, but I'm just sure. gonna share kind of what we do in that. So for example, we start with kind of like a three line encounter, like, who are you meeting? What are you doing? Like, what's the kind of little goal within this little encounter? And I think if you can start by writing those kinds of things consistently, you can start building upon that little by little. So if you can write an encounter You know a paragraph encounter you know maybe once a week for a few weeks or every other day i don't like to say to do things every day because i really think that our time is so limited that doing things every single day when you're first starting out something is not always very helpful advice but i think if you can do it on some level of consistency whether that's you know once or twice a week you have like an hour that you put aside Mm -hmm. for writing and just try to knock something out if you can learn how to start and finish a small project that really gives you a foundation for how you work how you like to work if you find that you're you're really struggling to just get that one paragraph done then you can kind of reflect on that, like what what what's the obstacle that I'm encountering here? Is it because when I'm starting with a blank page, I freeze up? Do I need to have a better ideation process? Is there something that I can do to kind of kickstart myself into writing? And it's only really by doing these little tiny projects that you start and complete that you can learn those things about yourself because, that's different for every single person. Like for me personally, I always have to make a playlist and like a mood board and like have lots of inspirational things around me when I'm starting a new project because I like to be really immersed in something that I'm doing. And so for me, those are fundamental, but I didn't really learn that about myself until I was really actively doing a lot of creative projects on a really consistent basis. So I would say to really start small, like start super, super small, commit to doing you know, with some regularity, a small thing, then you can kind of work up to the next stage of that. Then you can do a one-page encounter and that you can really start to flesh that out a little bit more. You can add a map to that, add a stat block, or kind of take it to the next level. Then when you've started and completed a few of those one-page encounters, first of all, you start to have a nice little portfolio that you've created for yourself. Then you can kind of work up to the next project. So I really think that if you can kind of be, you know, somewhat, Uh, methodical about it and really think through your goal as you know something that you can break into really small pieces that's how you learn about your own creative process because it's really hard for me to say do this 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 and this because that will be different for everyone but the best place to start is by doing something small and if you learn how to complete something You'll also know how long it takes you to do something, which then helps you actually set reasonable expectations for yourself. Um, Something I was talking about recently with a friend of mine is National Novel Writing Month, which just ended. And that is a, it's national, but I think it's actually international at this point. It's basically a writing challenge where people try to write 50,000 words for a book in one month. And we're talking about how most people don't actually meet that goal because most people who are signing up for it. Uh, have never done a project like that before. And writing 50,000 words in one month is a lot of words. You have to be really, yeah, really yeah. mindful of that. And so I think yeah. I think creative projects like that are awesome. Like there's no harm in trying it, but if you feel discouraged because you're doing something like that, it's probably because you're, you're taking on too much before you've kind of worked up to that. So that would be my first kind of piece of advice is start small and work up to the bigger things and really commit to working up to the bigger things and treat it as practice.
0: Yeah, I like what you said. Learn how to complete something. Yes. Yeah, start small so you can figure that out. That's good.
3: My, my Actually, most successful one-shot writings have been when I've slightly overcommitted myself to a deadline to run something at a convention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and working backwards from that, saying, okay, people are coming to this thing. I need to do a good job. This is not just me flying by the seat of my pants with my buddies. I need to... Make this a quality thing, and I think the best stuff I've ever written for for has been for conventions. Uh, my problem is, is I keep playing around in IPs where I can't go post that stuff mm. on a <laughs> drive through RPG and make a buck, right? Because uh, I write the stuff and I go, okay, that's for an IP. I, you know, I, I could put it out to the universe for funsies. Otherwise, um, it doesn't really have a utility. But I think. Th- For me personally, this is just me talking about me, which is my favorite subject. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The deadline piece helps, Mm -hmm. you know, because I could say, yeah, I can write two paragraphs, but if I don't have an application to put it to with a, a tangible application that I could see legitimately in the future, it's harder for me to get motivated.
2: Yeah, and, and kind of two points to that. One is that it's it's good to know if you're the kind of person who needs that. It's not external validation, but kind of external accountability for a project like that. Some people do really well with that, where setting a deadline that involves other people uh, is a really you know helpful motivator for them to actually finish something and, and do it to a certain quality, knowing that other people are going to interact with that. I think if that's your very first project you're ever doing, there's... Some, that might be helpful for some people. I feel like for me that was kind of helpful because I knew that my home game, my home group was going to play my very first adventure to play test. And so I wanted to do a good job for them. But All I right. think for some writers that could also be um, daunting and might have the kind of adverse effect where they're thinking about people's response to their adventure while they're in the drafting phase. And something that Mm. one of our Mm. instructors says, uh, Beth Ball, she runs one of our courses at Storytelling Collective, she told me about her own process. She's a very prolific novelist, so she writes novels and has a great process for that. She told me that when she's writing her first draft, she doesn't invite the readers in too early. And that means like mentally, she's not, when she's doing her first draft, she's not thinking about what other people are going to think about it. She's just trying to tell the story to herself so she can get it out. Um, Because even though we know a story that we want to tell, we might not know all the actual individual things in that story. And so that's what that first process, that first draft process can be and kind of should be. Uh, so I always thought that that was kind of a good take on that. And also, I do think that, I mean, I think, again, external motivation is is really motivating and can really hold you uh, accountable. But for me, I also think it's important that writers learn how to love the process and write for themselves as well, because that's when you always have something to come back to when writing gets hard if you have fun just geeking out about your own story and you really go all in on like you know making your mood boards and playlists and and you know having your inspirational you know images or art that you commission like that really um it, it allows you to fully just immerse yourself in your own story and really find joy in the process of creating without thinking about other people so i think the best processes have a mix of both where you are you know hoping that people will read and play your your adventures but if you can also just have fun creating it that's also very motivating just because it's a fun thing to do and i love writing just because writing i find really fun i write a lot of things purely for myself that no one is ever going to read just because i enjoy writing so there's i think if you can do both you'll probably find a process that really works for you
3: yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. And un- understanding yourself is really important. It's like mm-hmm. am I am I doing this for the purpose of um getting validation externally or am I doing this to get validation internally and to thine own self be true, you know, figure out what works best for you and, and go from there.
1: hmm
0: Yeah, that's sorry, go ahead, Jason.
1: Oh, go ahead, Jason.
0: No, you, just... No, okay. So um, <laughs> I think uh, you said something. One of your writers, I, I missed the name, but you said they're in their process, right? They don't introduce the writers too early, and that that I think is important. I think a lot. Um, um, uh, you, I'll give you an example, right? When we, every time we had a kid, um, and we had several, so I've had a little bit of experience with this. But every time we had a kid, you come up with the name and people like, hey, what you gonna name your kid? It's like, no, nah, we're not telling you. And people always be like, why? Why not? It's because you know, we're creating the name for this. You know, this new family member that means that means something to us. And if I share it with you before the kid comes, then I'm going to have an opportunity for you to give me feedback that maybe I don't want, mm-hmm. right? Or feedback that's going to influence how I feel about the decision I made for the name for that child. And I saw that with people where they'd say, "Well, we're thinking about naming uh, naming her, uh, you know, uh, Alice." And then people will be, like, oh yeah, Alice. Well, I kind of had, uh, you know, I had a grandma named Alice, and uh, and then it starts to have an influence. So I think you have to, I think you have to be ready. Like, am I re, be honest with yourself? Do I want input right now, or do I not want input right now? Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, when I started, when I've started writing stuff, um, I would get input from people, and I I would start to realize, oh, this is actually kind of detrimental to my creative process for this this story or this situation that I'm developing. And so one time I took a I took a challenge on to in a, in a horror competition to write a 2,000-word short story, and uh, I did it. And I said, I'm not showing anybody until it's done. And so I have got all 2,000 words, and then I gave it to a bunch of buddies and said, hey, guys, what do you think? And at that point, I'd already developed the situation. I'd already developed the plot. I'd already developed the story. And they were really just there to make sure you know it kind of tied together and it made sense. But I was ready for input at that point. You know I, I kind of developed what I wanted so I, I, I think that that's good input um, I guess my question would be is how do you figure out when you're an early stage writer like what should you do should you just wait until you have like like three-quarters of your stuff developed or or like when should you start introducing that early feedback without it being you know maybe detrimental to your process
2: you know I don't know if there is one good answer to this. I will just say that, again, this comes with practice. So if you find that when you're getting, you know, three quarters of the way through, you know, writing your one page encounters and you feel stuck and you feel like you need someone else's input, or you feel like you're not sure how to kind of overcome the next, you know, obstacle, then once you've done that a few times, then you kind of know for yourself, okay, at this point of this process, I want to start inviting people in, to you know, weigh in and help me out. You might find that you want people to be involved in the ideation stage. Sometimes I like talking to my husband um, about an idea that I have for something because it kind of helps me refine it. And then I don't really you know talk about the story for a while after that. Once I kind of have that initial premise, and then once I have you know the the very messy first draft done. Like for me, I I, I don't really want to talk to anyone about my a certain project when I'm in that kind of first part. So I like the very early discussions and ideation and then after the first draft is done to actually have people involved. And I think for some people, they want something that is a little bit more complete before they get feedback from someone else. So I don't know if there's one specific answer. I never want to say like just do something and then figure it out because I always think when it comes to creativity that that's terrible advice like I compare it to when I wanted to learn about knitting and someone was like "Well, just do it And I'm like there's so much to knitting that I don't know really where to start that you I yeah. how do I cast on there's so many different ways that you can cast on like how do right. when I'm done with my project how do I cast off how do I actually complete this hat and like stitch it together so I think I kind of take the same approach when it comes to writing that I don't want us to say, like, I don't know, just do it and figure it out. But I there's so many nuances in the writing process for individual people. I will say that I personally believe that it's nice to have something kind of fleshed out before you start asking people. And it's also like, what are you asking people for? Are you asking people for just their you know, they're good vibes to finish your project. I have a friend who just sent Mm -hmm. me the first few chapters of a book that she's writing, and she called it just like a positivity pass. It's just, here's what I'm working on. It's super messy. I just kind of want your, you know, support for this project. Here's what I'm working on. And so I know that also, just to give her basically like, this is so cool, like here's the things that I'm really loving about this direction, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not gonna give her like criticism or things like that. So that's something that you could kind of also do as a creative is specify what you're looking for. But it's also just asking yourself, like what am I looking for here? Do I want people to just hype me up at this point? Totally valid, something that you can totally ask for. Are you looking for a very specific feedback? If you're looking for very specific feedback on, you know, pacing or, you know, characters or things like that, I think it's better to have something a little bit more fleshed out to give people because it's kind of hard for people to really see what you're going for. If you don't have that for them, if you're looking for just kind of general feedback on your premise and your idea, then that's something you can do really early on. You still kind of need to provide people with a summary. So I think you just need to ask yourself the questions like, what am I looking for with someone else right now? Like, what do I need from someone? And then from from that answer and be honest with yourself. If you just really want someone to be like, this is so cool, then you can do that at any stage, but just be honest with yourself about what you're looking for. And that will help you determine at what stage you ask for that.
1: So Ashley, this is all like awesome, awesome writing, writing feedback. And one of the things that struck me as you were talking about was how can you find your process, your own process, right? You talked about doing mood boards. You talked about, uh, you know, like, Uh, finding your own voice before you introducing others different things like that and so I know that I kind of alluded to it before but I I kind of want to shift a little bit and really talk about your storytelling collective uh, project that you have because I feel like everything that you've talked about would help a brand new writer someone who says I've got a story in my head I don't know how to fin- start or finish it, just like that knitting that you talked about, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I just don't know how to do this. Um, how does, you know? Let's talk about your storytelling collective, and I'm going to give a little bit of context here because it's something that I signed up for in the summertime when I did the Write Your First Adventure, the Chaosium Path, mm. and um, I hadn't played a lot of Call of Cthulhu. I'd, I'd done a little bit of it, and that's the that's the inner path, I guess I chose with Chaosium, right? I did Cthulhu instead of uh, RuneQuest. And um, I was really impressed by this. Uh, I was very, very impressed by this. The the thing that I loved about it was that every day you had something to do, and it was bite-sized chunks. Very bite-sized chunks. Something that you could do in 15-20 minutes. Um, Just sit down, do something in 15-20 minutes. You could do it in the morning, you could do it in the afternoon, you could do it in the evening. If you missed a day, you could do two the next day. It wasn't so much that you felt overwhelmed and I thought that especially in the beginning doing it, it, it kind of took you through some different creative things like first one you're talking about like just what's the general idea of your adventure next you're talking about how do I develop a bad guy like what's what's that what's the bad guy all about what's his motivations you know and it kind of took you through different things before you actually even started putting like pen to paper you're starting to kind of collect all of that stuff so um why don't you why don't you talk to us a little bit about, um, the storytelling collective, how kind of, how did it start? How is it going? Um, you know, what's, what's the feedback that you're getting from it that like that kind of thing.
2: Sure. Well, I'm so glad you had a good experience and everything you said really means a lot to us because we really try to craft, uh, our curriculum very thoughtfully to account for busy people and to Mm -hmm. basically put into action all the things that I'm talking about, really take people step by step through a sample creative process so that they can refine it and take what they like and hopefully what they don't like as well and make their own from that. So the storytelling collective was originally called the RPG Writer Workshop. I started it in July of 2018. At that time, I was writing D&D one shots for DMs Guild like a fiend. I was writing uh, like a one shot at least once a month. And then, I don't know, I just had so many projects going on. And that had been going on for about six months at that point, so I had quite a bit under my belt. And I was getting some cool new opportunities in, in D&D writing. And so I started getting emails from people like, how do I get started writing for a DMs Guild? How do I write a one-shot adventure? And I had done a lot of research before I started writing just because that's how I operate. And so I had, right. I felt like at that point, even though I was new to it, that I had some, some guidance that I could share. And one thing that I always consider my strength is being able to start and finish a project. And I also, you know, had it experience working with writers. And so I felt like all of that kind of empowered me to basically put together some educational materials for people who wanted to specifically write and publish D&D content. Not so much DM, because there's a lot of great information out there about DMing, but writing and publishing D&D content didn't really, at that time, have a lot of kind of guided educational resources. So I had put together just this email series at the time. And I just put the link out on Twitter. And I'm like, if anyone wants to do an RPG writer workshop with me this summer, sign up for my email list. And like 500 people signed up like immediately. And I was like, whoa, wow. OK, I um, had no idea that there was that much demand for this kind of you know guidance and and educational material. And so uh, our, com- our community grew like super quickly, basically out of nowhere. I'm still kind of when I look back on that, I'm like, well, so much happened so quickly. And so uh, I realized then that there was definitely a need for for this kind of program. And so that's when the RPG Writer Workshop really became like a real program. And so I also kind of structured it after National Novel Writing Month in the sense that I wanted to have a very specific project based, you know, uh, workshop for people to do within one month because I did feel personally that putting together a one-shot adventure in one month was attainable mostly because that's what I had been doing and so and someone was like there should be a, a national novel writing month but for D&D and I was like hey I can do that <laughs> um so I yeah,
1: way way more obtainable than a uh, 50,000 word novel
2: I think so too like, yeah, although way
1: more obtainable for sure
2: I mean I think I really do think NaNoWriMo is a really challenging challenge i mean it's fun but it's i think it's difficult but i also think with um with our program part of our program entails actually putting your adventure into layout and actually publishing it and so some there is there are some challenges within ours as well that i think make the one month uh you know structure it it is it is tricky even though we do try to make it really bite-sized uh so i i also realized because the first workshop was all just me. It was just me writing basically what my personal creative process was kind of to what we were all talking about, like giving people a sample process based off of what I was doing, what was working for me with the caveat that I did not expect everyone else to find that process perfect for them. It was just, here's something to get started. Here's what I do and what gets me from point A to point B. And, uh, you know, gets me to kind of have a finished product at the end of a month. Then I decided, you know, it was, it would be better if I could bring in other people to Helped me kind of flesh out this curriculum. It's, I don't believe that any one writer has all of the answers. And so I wanted to have our, our curriculum really reflect other people in the community. And so I just kind of recruited other people that I knew were publishing on DMs Guild at the time. And we started to kind of really build out this curriculum um, with me kind of serving as the curriculum like director, just given my background in, you know, actually developing curriculum for educational settings. And then uh, the community just really grew and has continued to grow I mean at this point we just we just ran our 10th cohort of write your first adventure that's what the workshop ended up becoming um just because I wanted to be very specific about what that workshop was it wasn't just an RPG writer workshop it was very specifically to write your first adventure for a game system that you want to publish for and yeah we just finished our 10th cohort and we've had uh more than 12,000 people take our programs in it's amazing yeah I mean it's mind-blowing when I look at that number I'm like that is that's wild to me and uh yeah and so we've added multiple paths so it used it used to just be D, just because that was what i was doing but then we partnered with chaosium um a couple years ago i'm trying to remember exactly when that was but honestly anything from like 2020 after is like kind of a blur to me at this point um <laughs> since so much happened actually that was our biggest cohort ever was in the summer of 2020 i think a lot of people were looking for something to do during the pandemic and obviously the pandemic's still going on but that was kind of at the you know the the scary part of it, and yeah. Um, so yeah, our community really grew then, and so we partnered with Chaosium, and we were able to do our Call of Cthulhu path and the RuneQuest path, and and continue to open that up to other game systems. Um, so yeah, it's it's really it's grown really rapidly. We have really uh, refined the curriculum. Actually, every year we do kind of a a curriculum overhaul to really account for. Both are, you know, what our community is expressing. You know, where they're getting stuck at different stages of the workshop. You know, how can we really help people get over those obstacles so they can finish? Uh, we don't really like completely restructure it, but we do try to have it evolve because it naturally kind of evolves. Every cohort is is unique, and we get different feedback every time, and so we try to always improve the curriculum based off of that feedback. And again, there's no one process that's going to work for everyone, so. We've actually swapped the order of lessons like quite a few times based off of feedback and the feedback's always different. Like people are like, why do you do, you know, layout before editing or why do you do editing before layout? And it's like there's no perfect answer to that. We just have to give you some uh, some structure and then you might find that you want to reverse it and things like that. Um, so that's kind of what drives just the general structure of it. And like per what you said, we try to make things very bite sized and, and actionable. We want people to have a finished project by the end of the month. That is I want to actually say that that's our main goal. Our main goal is to help people practice a creative process, to just go from start mm-hmm. to finish even if they don't publish or finish their adventure. We want you to at least try out each of these steps and have what we call a creative toolkit so that you can pull from it and actually finish any project that you start. So that that was that is what I would say is our main goal. But of course we want you to publish and put your work out there in the world too so that's a secondary goal (laughs) um so
1: do you have do you have stats on how how many people actually finish
2: you know a lot of people ask me that i will say um i don't really have clear stats on that because it's not usually that cut and dry so for example like you mentioned you had been working on your adventure you'll probably end up publishing it but it wasn't necessarily within the month that you took the workshop right, exactly so yeah so it's a little hard for me to say that and also um, we've had a lot of people take our workshops multiple times uh, which is always exciting mm-hmm. some people like that structure a lot and so they they'll they'll take it more than once so that they can work on an adventure each time um, so people have published like multiple adventures so that kind of skews my numbers a little bit I mean we've had from our, you know, the 12,000 people who have gone through it, we've, you know, thousands of adventures have come out of that. So I feel like our completion rates are very positive. And I will say though, that again, because our goal isn't necessarily publishing, we just want you to like learn your creative process. It's, it's not something that I get too like caught up on. I mostly look at like who's completed the workshop materials rather than who's published their adventure, if that makes sense.
1: I think there's a much better metric than who's actually published. Um, because the thing is, is you may, you may get through it and realize you've got kind of an ugly baby, you know, and you don't <laughs> want that baby to see the light of day, which is totally fine mm-hmm. because like you've gone through your process. Right. And you may say, Hey, this one wasn't like, this wasn't the beautiful baby. My, the next one's going to be better mm-hmm. because I've kind of worked through this and I, and I've done it. And, and I agree. I think getting through the course material, working through that creative process, learning something about yourself, and and kind of committing to just go with it, those are those are the big things, right? Like those are the those are the changing, like the 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 writer's changes that happen, rather than just being like, ta da, I publish something. Because honestly, anybody can publish anything. Like it, it doesn't mean it's like necessarily good or it went through, like, you know, so I think focusing on how people work through this and indulging in that creativity is so key. I think that, I think that's a much better view than numbers on whether you published or not, you know?
2: Yeah. And I feel like, and one piece of writing advice that I got when I was younger was when I, you know, wanted to just write books. And I feel like books at that time just meant novels, I guess. But for me, like now I aspire to write all sorts of things. But at the time um, I talked to a very prolific writer and, and she was saying that, uh, you know, the best way to, you know, work up to that is to write practice novels, like spend the time writing full novels, but you don't necessarily have to publish everything that you write. Like, yeah, it feels like a big time investment to work on projects that you're not necessarily going to do something with, but the practice is invaluable there. And so I, I've I've i written like I've written so many things that I don't think I'll ever really do anything with, but they taught me something every yeah. time I worked on it. And I might even go back and revisit those and make them better now that I know more of these things about myself. And mm-hmm. there's a project that I've been working on since I was in my early 20s and I'm 34 now. And I'm really glad I didn't publish it at the time that I was writing it because I look back at it now and I'm that the way I can write it now is so much, I think, better and truer to who I am as a writer um, that I think I it wasn't the right project for me at the time. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I invested the time in learning more about those things. But you never really know when the right time is going to be. So you shouldn't sit on your work for forever. But there's some things right. that you kind of have a gut feeling about. And so I think it's good to kind of follow that and, and invest the time in, in practicing. It's again, find joy in the act of writing just for fun and writing for yourself. And then that's when you are can kind of identify for yourself like, oh, there's something here that I think other people will really positively respond to, but you might not know what that is right away.
0: It's like, you, you got to prototype it. Yes. For work on a prototype, figure out how to complete a prototype and sit back, look at it and use that as a night, use that to spawn other ideas.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's
1: the engineer talking, by the way, he's our engineer. Sorry. My husband's an engineer,
2: time. so that sounds very, very <laughs> okay, familiar <cool>. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, actually, we, we, we want to be cognizant of your time. So the last thing I wanted to end on a little bit um, is the uh, D&D adventure, uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Frostmaiden. Um, so you are a co-author of that book. Can you tell us what parts of the book you wrote?
2: you know it's been a while since i've worked on it so i'm trying to remember off the top of my head i did write let's see i think i wrote a at least 20 or thirty thousand words of it which i think Mm, that's a good yeah i think i mean that's kind of how it was divvied up i again don't quote me on that because it has been a few years i worked worked on that in 2019 so that was a while ago uh and i think that's kind of that was fairly comparable i mean all the contributors we basically we are you know we we expressed the kind of chapters and things that we wanted to work on and, and the sections and so it was all it's all pretty equally divvied up and those books have you know thousands of words in them so i wrote uh, orals abode which is the chapter where you get to go to the frost maidens awesome grimskull castle and i wrote um i'm trying to remember the names of everything there's this fun encounter toward the uh, beginning of the book where you can meet two uh, wolves who are kind of like bad wolf good wolf bad wolf and they try to like kind of swindle people who uh you know encounter them and that was really fun uh i wrote a section about uh this ring of ice giants that are kind of like um frozen oh
1: that was a good one we had
2: yeah i remember that one. oh good i'm glad you liked it uh i wrote uh, yeah basically like the, so there's the ten towns at the beginning of the campaign and yep. so a lot of that was kind of divvied up so we each wrote i think a couple of those and so uh i think i did i want to say east haven and okay oh my gosh i'm like totally blanking it's it i i haven't read through the book in a while because i actually want to play it with my group and i i kind of want to play it as a player so i was kind of like trying not to refresh myself on it because there's a lot of sections that i don't remember because i didn't work on every single section um yeah yeah, I wrote the one about uh, the whale that you can take as kind of like a submarine <laughs> uh, to get yep. to the to the ice flows near uh, Orals abode. Uh, so yeah, a bunch of different little sections like that. Um, there's this uh, this cave. I think it's called Cauldron Caves. There's two like cave networks uh, early on in the in the campaign. So one chapter I did, and one chapter um, Celeste uh, Conowich, who's an amazing writer, she wrote. Um, so I did one where you, there's like a cool hag that you can meet, she's really fun. And yeah, that's what I about off the top of my head.
1: But that's That's awesome. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out uh, for me as a DM in this book that I, I very much appreciated was the way that the 10 towns was written was so sandboxy mm-hmm. for everybody. that like, You could just go do whatever you wanted and you may do it with this town. And there were towns that we didn't even do, right? Because there's just so much content in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't. You couldn't really do every adventure or side quest in every single town, without like having to level up. I mean, I guess technically you could. Sure. But you know, if you just never leveled ever, anybody up, you know, and didn't move on with the campaign, but um, we did. We did a lot, and I just loved how people just kind of chose what to do and where to go. And I worked player secrets in there, and that just kind of became, you know, the impetus to find more adventures. I kind of tied player secrets to other plot hooks that were in the mm-hmm. book you know and so it felt like they were doing um our players felt like they were doing a personal quest for somebody even though it was a total quest that was in the right book. you know it was like a plot hook so a lot of the um the ragged glacier um tribal stuff we did a bunch mm-hmm. of those and um yeah that the that ring of ice giants was a ton of fun and uh, we had a guy almost get killed several times but <laughs> it was
2: like yeah if it
1: hadn't been for our uh cleric who who um was able to turn himself invisible with a the couple potions that they bought like he would have been dead dead you know <laughs> so, I believe it yeah <laughs> it was uh, it was it's a pretty it's a pretty deadly campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and we played it with some very experienced RPGers that know how to kinda of game the system a little bit and work together. And even they were struggling sometimes. Um Oral's Abode especially, like that whole um we had quite you remember that Jason? Like the the basement with the ice and the frost giant and all mm-hmm. that? Yeah, In well, fact, I remember
0: having some overzealous players too that seemed true. like they would just go attack whatever they
1: wanted to. That's true. We had a couple <laughs> of those. I I will say though, you did you design the part where like they had to go through the different doors and complete the quest Yeah. So inside the Grim Oh my gosh, that was my favorite part of the campaign. I'm so glad. Honestly. Yeah.
2: So I will say like so the when you work on a project like this, uh, and I I'm assuming this is, you know, based off of how my friends have worked on other D&D books, like, you're given what's called a story Bible. So we worked closely with Chris Perkins to kind of figure out like, what what is the goal of each chapter here? And so, but really, when it comes to the actual writing assignment, we, you're basically given like one line, and you're like, okay, this is what Chris wants. So here's like one line, and you need to write like 15,000 words to kind of flesh it out. And that chapter especially, because it is, it's kind of a climactic chapter, like you're, you know, kind of on your way to meet, oral, you know, depending on what goes on. And um, so there, you know, there's a lot of high stakes there. And so that, yeah, working on that uh, kind of gauntlet, like a lot of that kind of changed by the time I got to publication, but it was really um, rewarding to kind of think through the different, you know, challenges and obstacles that people would find there uh, beyond just, you know, meeting, you know, scary creatures and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really Mm -hmm. glad you enjoyed it.
1: No, Jason, I think that was one part that stood out to a lot of our players. Remember how you had to go through the different doors?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. And I think what's interesting there is – and I've been thinking about this as we've been talking, right? Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing, Mm -hmm. a Memoir of the Craft. And in that book – he said a strong enough it's not like i have that book memorized i just noticed one thing it's a strong enough situation renders the question of plot moot Mm -hmm. and what's great about that part in the in the in the skull thingy was each one of those doors was a new situation and once we went into it it was like you know you were dealing just with that and and even if it was just one sentence to kind of say hey this is what you got to write fifteen thousand words against it's You know, taking the situation, that's what makes role playing fun Mm -hmm. is dealing with the situation with the understanding that there's an overall theme and something we're trying to do across, you know, several months of playing this campaign. But it's dealing with the individual situations with these characters we've created. And I think that you did a good job creating unique feelings. So we stepped out of the, all right, we're just going to go from this area to this area and fight things along the way to problem solving puzzle that were semi interrelated to the overall objective. So I, I had a lot of fun with that.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, puzzles, I love to write puzzles, but they are really challenging because you have to not make it so frustrating for players. Like you have to give them reasonable, you know, uh, you know clues and, and ways to kind of drive the story forward. You don't want to totally lock people behind you know um you never want to lock a, you know a decision behind one single dice roll that could fail because then how exactly. do they move forward but it's 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 tricky because you want it to be a challenge because a challenge is fun but it also has to be written clearly and writing writing puzzles in games is really difficult because you're telling the dm basically here's how to facilitate this puzzle and that kind of you don't want anything to get lost in translation there when they're trying to convey that to their players. So it's tricky. I mean, I think that those kinds of things are among the most challenging elements to write, but they're also really satisfying when you can kind of figure it out. But everything in those books is totally a collaboration. So I certainly won't take credit for how good it kind of turned out, but it was fun to be part of that process of strategizing that.
1: Well, the team did an amazing job. I honestly, it's my favorite D and D book that I have played. Um, We've played a few of a few other ones, and that one, just the way that it kind of started very wide and then narrowed at the end of the book, like I think it it pulled it off much better than a lot of other things. And I thought the setting was good with ten towns. Where at first I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting, but they did being able to just kind of. Um, move from town to town relatively easy because like the distance was only like what a uh, longest one was like an eight hour mm-hmm. walk or something like that so that like there was facilitation of movement and being able to like every town had kind of its own unique feel and and that was just I thought wonderfully done that the team did an amazing job and uh, we just we just had so much fun with it so um, but actually I think we're I think we're getting close to time I know you have a baby you need to put to bed so, you know, we've all been there before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my life right now. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of all the knowledge that you that you have in this uh, this kind of area and RPGs and and writing and all that, um, I'm sure we'd love to have you back another time to, to talk further about some of this stuff.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to chat about all of these topics. It really is my passion and there's a lot to talk about. So yeah, just, just let me know, but thanks this, this was really fun and it's always, it's always exciting to talk about these things and I'm really glad that you uh, had a positive experience in the workshop. That really means a lot to our whole team. Yeah.
1: I- Again, I've I've got so many more questions about the workshop that I feel like would be great for a podcast. So, um, But, you know, it was was awesome to hear about your experience as a writer and how it all came about. And so um, thank you again so much for being on the show. And for our listeners, if you have any questions, you can um, go on Twitter. Uh, There's the Story Writing Collective um, Twitter handle that uh, puts out a lot of announcements. And also you can follow... Ashley Warren on Twitter as well, so um, she's got a lot of followers that, uh, and you put out a lot of stuff there, so that's great, uh, great there.
0: Ashley, and- what's your uh, Twitter in case people want to get? get over sure.
2: It. So my Twitter is at Ashley N H Warren. Be sure to use the middle two letters because there's another Ashley Warren who's not me and probably gets a lot of weird D and D tweets. So yeah, it's <laughs> Ashley N H Warren, and then yeah, we're also on Twitter at Storytelling Collective. It is at Storytelling C O. L, I think there's just one L. If you look that up, you'll probably find us. We have an ampersand Got it. in our logo, so that'll be us.
0: Cool. Thanks.
1: And your uh, website is storytellingcollective.com, um, and there's uh, the Write Your First Adventure modules in there that you can sign up for, but those happen on a kind of – quarterly basis i think
2: right, right now they are uh biannual so we do them every july and november okay. but we also do a write your first D encounter workshop as well and those are also um twice a year and we're adding a lot of new rpg stuff next year so there and there's we have other courses awesome. in the rpg writer workshop that you can take at any time of year so those aren't our only offerings so um yeah feel free to check out storytellingcollective.com and check out all, all of our programs
1: Very good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like the show tonight, uh, give us a share. Give us a like and a follow. And uh, give us a rating on uh, whatever you listen to, whether it be Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on. Give us a rating because that helps the algorithm and other folks find us as well. So we appreciate all the support that we got. And, Ashley, once again, thank you very much. And we wish everybody a wonderful evening. Have a good night. See you. Good night. Thanks again.